So I hope you are ready. Um, I'm going to uh, have to choose and leave things out. Uh, There's just too much. So let's see how, we, how far we go. But I, I want to try and stick to the point. Um, some of you may have seen uh, Friday's devotion speaking about the right to forgive. So I'm going to go on in that line. But there's some things that I want to lay some emphasis on. So uh, I want to start. Uh, I'm going to still be in Luke chapter 5. So let's start reading in verse 18. He says, Behold, some men were bringing on, on a stretcher a man who was paralyzed. And they tried to carry him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him with his stretcher. So they didn't train their ushers yet, you know, so they had to break down the building. Right, so, and lowered him with his stretchers through the tiles into the midst in front of Jesus. Okay, so I think that there's, a, there's a good scripture, you know, for, <laughs> for why we need help in the church. Okay? <laughs> okay, so but imagine these people's faith. You know, imagine we're ministering and there's such a great crowd and the place is so full of people that uh, they can't get the sick person in so they come through the roof. You know, it's just dust and the tiles are falling everywhere and here they come. You just hear the pulley. And here comes the guy in front of Jesus, you know. The guy whose house it is just like, gee, thanks, you know, okay. So, um, so Jesus saw their faith. How far are we willing to go to get someone to him? Okay, how, how much trouble are we willing to go through to get the healing that we know we have in Christ? All right, so when he saw their confidence in him, verse 20, springing from their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. It's like maybe he was, you know, like a, Hippie or something. Hey, man, your sins are... <laughs> okay, I need to focus. We've got a lot to cover. Okay, he said, man, your sins are forgiven. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason and question and argue, saying, who is this man? Who is this, brackets, man, who speaks blasphemies, who can forgive sins but God alone? So they say, hey, you're not qualified to forgive sin." Who are you that you can just forgive sin? Just listen. I'm going to read it again. When he saw their confidence in him, their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. Your sins are forgiven you. We're so used to that phrase that it's, you know, it's fine. We've heard it so many times. But do we really understand what that really means? Okay. Here's a man saying, what everyone believed only God is, is able to say and only God has the authority to say. Blasphemy. Okay? But Jesus, knowing their thoughts and questions, questionings, answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say your sins are forgiven you or to say arise and walk about? But that you may know that the Son of Man has the power of authority and right on earth to forgive sins he said to the paralyzed man i say to you arise pick up your letter your stretcher and go to your own house and instantly the man stood up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went away to his own house i'm sure they made a way for him then <laughs> recognizing and praising and thanking god and overwhelming astonishment and ecstasy seized them all and they recognized and praised and thanked God. Okay, all of us want to say, oh, uh, we glorify God in our lives. Or people can see God in you. Oh, I can see the Holy Spirit in your life. Great. As far as it goes, you know, Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. Oh, we see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, meekness. That's the things people think of. But when it comes to saying stuff, not everyone is ready to say what God is, is saying so that God can be recognized in them. All right? So, for instance, to say 
in this religious environment where people have the right to kill you if they think you, you, your doctrine is wrong. I'm not talking about critics on Facebook. I'm talking about they stone you if, you're a, if your doctrine is wrong. Just think about that. Here he stands up and he says, your sins are forgiven you. Blasphemy. You don't have the right and the authority to say that. He says, what is easier for me to say? Rise up, take your bed and walk, or your, your sins are forgiven. Okay? But that you may know that the Son of Man has the power of authority and right on, men, uh, on earth. Right on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralyzed man, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and walk. So healing the sick and preaching forgiveness comes from the same authority. You know, Acts chapter 4. By which authority are you doing and saying these things? You know, by the power in the name of Jesus Christ. All right. So now just listen to this. The phrase son of man is in Christianese and in Christian circles so elevated that we don't associate with it. It's Jesus' title. It's not me. Do you know what it means? It means son of man. That's what it means. Huyos. And the other word is uh, Afropos or something like that. I can't remember now. Okay? means literally, from, from the Greek, a son of man. It, it's a phrase that was commonly used to describe humanity. Okay? In the Hebrew, Ben Adam. Son of Adam. Son of Adam. So, Jesus had to become son of Adam. Why did he have to become son of Adam? Because God said to Adam, let us make man, let them have complete authority. God said to Adam, rule over this earth. Reign over this earth. So there's certain things that God gave over by delegation to Adam, and he can't touch it anymore, otherwise he'll have to go back on his word. So to rule on the earth, God needs a man or a woman, someone in a human body on this earth, to speak a word. And if, he can, if that person can speak a word, it will be so, because God gave authority to humanity. Okay, so the word Ben Adam, it said, it's generally interpreted by Jews, son of man, denotes mankind generally in contrast to deity or Godhead, with special reference to their weakness and frailty. So it wasn't God, Jesus' special title. Ezekiel was called son of man. You can check it out, Ezekiel chapter 2. And at the end. Okay, so Ezekiel was called son of man. In Daniel, he saw a vision of a son of man. Okay, so let me just clear this up. Son of man is not Jesus' special title. Son of God is. King of kings is his special title. Lamb of God is his special title. Son of man is not... Us trying to be like Jesus when we call ourselves son of man is Jesus associating with us so that we can receive what he came to bring. The son of God became son of man so that the sons of men can become sons of God. Do you get it? Ben Adam. Doesn't matter which camera you see me, it still stays the same. All right. So, let's just quickly jump to Hebrews chapter 2. Oh, but you're not son of man. What am I, a bat? Okay, Hebrews chapter 2. I remember a conversation that I had with someone years ago. And there was a scripture. I can't even remember what it was. But it was something about, and it said something like in the direction of whether it's good for you to come with us or to go your own way, you must decide. So I was thinking on this scripture because I had to make a choice. And this guy says, yeah, but it's speaking to son of man and you're not son of man. And so like, like well, is my dad not a man? 
It's like, what are you talking about? You know, it's like, don't make, let religion make an idiot out of you. Yes, Jesus called himself son of man, but the revelation behind it is he's associating with you so that you can get something from him. So that he's not there on a pedestal somewhere and you're here and there's no connection. That's the whole point of him coming to earth. Okay. Hebrews chapter 2. Just listen to this. For it was not, verse 5, to angels that God subjected the habitable world of the future of which we are speaking. It has been solemnly and earnestly said in a certain place, What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you graciously and helpfully care for and visit and look after him? For some little time you have ranked him lower and inferior to angels, or Elohim is the word there. You have crowned him with glory and honor and set him over the works of your hands. Did God set us over the work of his hands? For you have put everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to man, he left nothing outside of man's control. That means forgiveness of sins is also in your control. But at present, we do not yet see all things subjected to him, man. But we are able to see Jesus. who was ranked lower than the angels for a little while, crowned with glory and honor because of his having suffered death, in order that by the grace of God to us sinners, he might experience death for every individual person. For it was an act worthy of God and fitting to the divine nature that he for whose sake and by whom all things have their existence in bringing many sons into glory. Huios, sons, into glory. So sons of man becoming sons of God. Should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through suffering. Stuff in brackets. Okay. For both he who sanctifies, making men holy, and those who are sanctified all have one father. For this reason, he's not ashamed to call them brethren. For he says, I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the worshiping congregation. I will sing hymns of praise to you. And again, he says, my trust and assured reliance and confident hope shall be fixed in him. And yet again, here I am and the children whom you have given me. Right? So we are born from him, from the spirit. So it's a different quality of man. All right? Since therefore these his children share in flesh and blood, humanity, man, natural man, in the physical nature of human beings, he himself in a similar manner partook of the same nature, that by going through death he might bring to naught and make of no effect him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. And also that he might deliver and completely set free all those who through the haunting fear of death were held in bondage throughout the whole course of their lives. For as we all know, he, Christ, did not take hold of angels, the fallen angels, to give them a helping or delivering hand. But he did take hold of the fallen descendants of Abraham to reach out to them a helping and delivering hand. So it is evident that it was essential that he be made like his brethren, son of man. In every respect, in order that he might become a merciful, sympathetic, faithful high priest in the things related to God to make atonement and propitiation for the people's sins. Because he himself in his humanity, son of man, has suffered in being tempted, tested and tried, he is able immediately to run to the cry and assist and relieve those who are being tempted, tested and tried and therefore are being exposed to suffering. So he became son of man so that he could be merciful on you. So what's the expression of mercy? The forgiveness of sins. All right. Let's go to Matthew chapter 9. Same story. And Jesus, getting into a boat, crossed to the other side and came to his own town, Capernaum. And behold, they brought him a man paralyzed and prostrated by illness, lying on a sleeping pad, and when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Take courage, son, your sins are forgiven, and the penalty remitted. Okay, so they get straight to the point, okay? Take courage, son, your sins are forgiven, and the penalty remitted. Okay, I want you to just get this perspective. 
Jesus was able to say that because he was son of man. I want you to get this. Because the authority from creation has been given to son of man. Has been given to Adam. So it has to be Adam saying it. It has to be Ben Adam saying it. So Jesus had to earn the right by his own death to be able to forgive us. He couldn't just forgive sins because it would cause our death. It would cause us to eternally be stuck in this sinful nature. He couldn't just forgive us according to the covenant because the covenant had to be fulfilled with his own blood. He had to forgive according to the covenant. He was limited in his forgiveness to that which is described in the covenant. So nothing, no, there's no forgiveness without blood, says Hebrews chapter 9. So according to the law, everything is cleansed by means of blood. So he brought his own blood to make everlasting atonement for us, an everlasting release for us, says Hebrews chapter 9. All right? So according to Hebrews chapter 9, Jesus had to, had to uh, go through death. He had to offer his own blood and his own body as the perfect sacrifice in order to gain the right to declare absolute forgiveness to you. Forgiveness isn't a cheap thing. It's not just God sitting there on his throne and thinking, oh, no, I don't want to forgive you. His heart from, from the beginning was forgiveness. But he was limited because of the authority that he gave man. And he had to respect the authority that he gave man. So he had to make a covenant with him so that sin could be punished. So that he could come and take the punishment. And before that, that, that happened, he could not forgive sins absolutely. All right? So Hebrews chapter 10 verse 17 says, Where there is absolute is Verse 18, where, where there is absolute forgiveness of sin, there is no longer any atonement made for sin. No atonement necessary. Jesus is your atonement. All right, so Jesus, because he became son of man, had the jurisdiction to forgive sins on the earth. Oh, we have to beg for forgiveness and earn it. You have to confess every little sin you've ever done in order for God to forgive you. It's not what the Bible says. There's no forgiveness without blood. Has the blood been shed? Yes. Is the blood offering of Jesus perfect? Yes. So you're forgiven. How do you receive your forgiveness? You believe it. But how can someone believe it if he didn't hear it? And how can someone hear it without a preacher? And how can someone preach unless he is sent? For it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that bring the glad tidings. Even wearing my wedding shoes today. Can you see it? Okay. Right. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, take courage, your sins are forgiven. He could say that because he was son of man. And he had God's spirit inside of him. Ben Adam. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, this man blasphemes. He claims the rights and the prerogatives of God. Who was really speaking? It was God himself speaking inside of Ben Adam. A man reborn of the spirit who had the authority to forgive sins just listen but jesus knowing their thoughts said why do you think evil and harbor malice in your hearts which is easier to say your sins are forgiven and the penalty remitted or to say get up and walk well for them it's extremely difficult to say <laughs> it's not something that they could say <laughs> they couldn't bring themselves to say it but what's easier to say your sins are forgiven and the penalty remitted or to say get up and walk but in order that you may know that the son of man ben adam huios anthropos has authority on earth to forgive sins the one in Luke says the right to forgive sins. 
authority on earth to forgive sins and remit the penalty. He then said to the paralyzed man, get up, pick up your sleeping pad, go to your own house. And he got up and he went away to his own house. Okay. In order that you may know that Son of Man, it's, a, it's not exclusively Jesus, it's humanity. Someone born of God in a human body on this earth who is surrendered to God's authority, who recognizes the sovereignty of the king. He has to say what the king says. In order that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Oh, Hebrews chapter 2. And in putting all things under his feet, he left nothing outside of man's control. To put this just in God's hands is to completely ignore what we were sent to do. Why is it that a lot of people, the more religious you get, the more this is a problem. Why is it that a lot of people pray for God to do what he sent us to do? Why is it that humanity doesn't want to just do what he says? We think it's spiritual if we say, oh God, oh Lord, just heal on Susie. I believe in the prayer of faith it can happen. But God said, you go and lay your hands on the sick. He didn't say, you pray and I will go heal her. He said, you get in your car and go to the hospital and you lay your hands on the sick. Or go to her bed or wherever. And they will, these signs will follow them that believe. Not them that are God in heaven. If you're going to throw your screen, it's only your screen that's going to break. You're not going to hit my camera. <laughs> <laughs> so God wants us to heal the sick as he wanted Jesus to heal the sick God wants us to preach the gospel as he wants Jesus to preach the gospel so Jesus said stuff and he did stuff what did he say? he said what he heard his father saying so what's the father saying? well the thing that I read that he said most is Take courage, your sins are forgiven. Rise up, take your bed and walk. Okay, so why aren't we saying it? If you see someone say, your sins are forgiven, get up and walk. You will do the works that I do, and even greater works than these, because I go to my Father. He didn't say that. He said, if you believe in me, you will do the works that I do, even greater works than these, because I go to my Father. So we need to be saying what he's saying, and doing what he's doing. What is he saying? He's saying your sins are forgiven. What is he doing? Well, he's healing the sick. Right? Are you not the body of Christ? So if you're the body and he's the head, are you not one? So if the head is saying something, is the hand saying something else? If the head is saying something, is the foot saying something else? It's one so when you speak, you speak as God. You speak as Christ on the earth. And what's Christ saying? Christ is saying on the grounds of the blood of Jesus, take courage, your sins are forgiven. Have I not been crucified with Christ? I'm saying that you included. Have we not been crucified with Christ? Have we not died in him? Have we not been baptized into his death, Romans 6? Have we not been risen with him? Have we not been seated with him in heavenly places? Are we not made one with him in one body? Is he not our head? Are we not his body, his hands and feet? So why would we say anything else than he's saying? Why do you recognize your own will and his will instead of just being his body and letting him speak through you? Do we still want to seek our own thing? Or are we just vessels of whatever he is saying? We need to lose ourselves. You're not blaspheming when you're forgiving sins. You're blaspheming when you're doing your own thing. Remember in Acts chapter 10, um, Peter was sitting there on the house rooftop. 
And they were preparing food, and he was hungry, and he fell into a trance, and he saw a vision of food. And here comes the lapi, the cloth comes down, with all the animals that he was not supposed to eat according to the law. And he said, no, only kosher for me, thank you. I'm not going to eat that. God says, do not defile what I have cleansed by calling it unclean. And the thing goes up again. This happened three times. And then he got a knock on the door from some Gentiles. Are they not forgiven? Are we not forgiven? Do not call unclean what God has cleansed. So you cannot retain the forgiveness of people. You have to pronounce it. You have to say it. You have to say to someone, you are clean. I can't call you unclean. God has cleansed you. I can't keep a grudge. I can't hold anything against anyone. Is the blood of Jesus not enough? To cure, to, to, to uh, uh, satisfy my sense of judgment. Is, the, is Jesus, is the Lamb of God not enough? All right? So we need to sit and reevaluate the way we see people and the way we see things. We need to be saying what Jesus is saying. What is Jesus saying? Your sins are forgiven. He didn't say, here's 10 steps until you do these things and then you can get forgiveness. But then they say, then God will forgive you. Who are you to put conditions to what God will do or not do? Why don't you just do what he said to, you must do? What did he say you must do? He said, you must proclaim the gospel and you must forgive sins. All right. Oh, it sounds like I'm ranting. I'm not. Okay, I'm just enjoying myself. Okay. All right, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven and the penalty remitted, or get up and walk, but in order that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins and remit the penalty, he said to them, the paralyzed man, get up, pick, uh, pick up your sleeping pad and go to your own house. Isn't it funny that the people say, that say you can't you, you say to people they're forgiven, or the same people that says there's no miracles. And to block myself. Okay. Right. If you don't understand, don't worry. Okay. So let's just go to a few scriptures. Man, I've touched on so much, I can't remember all the side notes in my head. Okay. Matthew 9. Which, let's just continue in Matthew chapter 9. Um, just listen to this. Verse 13. Um. Verse 10, and Jesus reclined at table in the house. Behold, many tax collectors and especially wicked sinners came and sat and reclined with him and, and his disciples. What do you think he said to them? <laughs> Verse 11, and when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your master eat with tax collectors and those preeminently sinful? But when Jesus heard it, he replied, Those who are strong and well have no need of a physician, but those who are weak and sick. So to those who are weak and sick, those belonging to humanity, <laughs> he, has, he, he came for them. So what did he say to them? Your sins are forgiven. So what's God's response to sin? He says, the blood of Jesus, your sins are forgiven. That's God's response to sin. What's God's response to sickness? He says, rise up, take your bed and walk. You are healed. What else do we have to say? Sin is to the soul, but sickness is to the body. So why can we heal the sick, at least in some Pentecostal circles, but we can't pronounce forgiveness? Why not? Okay, we'll get to that. Go and learn what this means. Okay? So now, they're criticizing Jesus for spending time with sinners. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. 
and sacrificial victims. For I came not to call to invite to repentance the righteous, those who are upright and right standing with God, but sinners. So how did he call the sinners to repentance? Well, just think of some cases where he spoke to those sinners. Just think of John chapter 8, the woman caught in the act of adultery. You know, these days people want to fry them on Facebook. Okay? So what did Jesus say? He defended her. Why? Because he himself was the sacrificial lamb. So he stood up and he said, Yeah, I know Moses said these should be stoned. Because the Pharisees stood there with their stones. He says, Moses says, stone this woman. But what do you say? Trying to get, you know, get him to say something so they can catch him. What do you say, son of man? What do you say, Jesus? He said, let the one who has no sin cast the first stone. So they all, conscience stricken, went their way. And when there was no one else left, Jesus turned to the woman. He said, where are your accusers? No one here, Lord. So she doesn't even, she doesn't perceive him to be an accuser. Where are your accusers? She's standing in the manifest presence of Almighty God in a body on the earth. If you see Jesus, you see the Father. John 14, John 10, John 1 verse 18, Colossians 1 is the express image, Hebrews 1 image of soul image if you see Jesus you see the unseen God you see the father so here's the woman where are your accusers no one here Lord neither do I condemn you go and sin no more so what was Jesus' response to this woman, he was sent to those who are sick because the sick need a physician. What was his response to this woman's sin? You are forgiven, go and sin no more. He defended her before her accusers. I do not condemn you. Other way of saying it, your sins are forgiven. That's even, that's even more than the other one because I don't condemn you. And John 5 says that Jesus is the God-appointed judge. So, you are not the God-appointed judge. But you have been given a message to preach. You have been given the authority to preach the gospel because you can't preach the gospel without the Holy Spirit. But there's certain proclamations that you need to make as the Holy Spirit gives you utterance. So what's the proclamation? You need to proclaim the forgiveness of sins. Otherwise, how will they ever know they are right with God? No conditions. The condition was met on the cross. But they receive it by believing what you say. But they can't receive it if you don't say it. So we need to say it. I'm going to push this thing. Your sins are forgiven. And, and I mean it in the direct sense of God standing in front of you saying to you, your sins are forgiven. Don't see cop-outs for this. We need to boldly say what Jesus is saying. As if you are Jesus standing in front of people. What would he say to this sinner? I've made full atonement for your sin, says Jesus. Your sins are forgiven. Go and sin no more. With other words, I now set you free. The forgiveness sets you free from what you have been busy with. Okay, 
So, uh, same thing with sickness. So what's easier to say, you know, your sins are forgiven or rise up and walk. But to prove to you that I've got the authority to say it, just take your bed and walk. So he went on and was sick no more. And the woman went home and she sinned no more. The power of forgiveness. But we need to really take this on ourselves and start saying it. All right. Matthew 12 says the same thing. Sacrifices I have not desired, but mercy. Verse 7. If you had only known what this saying means, I desire mercy, readiness to help, to spare, to forgive, rather than sacrifice and sacrificial victims, you would not have condemned the guiltless. Okay. He's a merciful, sympathetic high priest. All right. Okay. Let's just go to Please also listen to Friday's message. I'm not going to repeat it. There's different scriptures on Friday. There's a few that's the same, but there's a few others that's different. Okay. Just on the Son of Man thing, go to John chapter 10. Start reading at verse 24. The Jews surrounded him and began asking him, How long are you going to keep us in doubt and suspense? If you really are the Christ, then tell us plainly and openly. Jesus answered, I have told you so, yet you don't believe me. (laughs) You do not trust me, rely on me. The very works that I do by the power of my Father and in my Father's name bear witness concerning me. So he wasn't, he was showing the Father, he wasn't showing himself. They are my credentials and evidence in support of me. So Jesus was the body of the Father. Just think about that. Verse 26. But you do not believe and trust and rely on me because you do not belong to my fold. You are no sheep of mine. Verse 27. The sheep that are mine, my own, hear and are listening to my voice. And I know them and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never lose it nor perish throughout the ages to all eternity. They shall never by any means be destroyed. And no one is able to snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater and mightier than all else. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Again, the Jews brought up stones to stone him. Okay. So here's the same thing. Son of man associating with son of God. Okay. They just don't like that. Okay. That a human being can say, God is my father and God is inside me. Okay. They just didn't like it. And they don't like it these days either. Like in Galatians 4, it says, as it was then, this, uh, the one born out of the flesh will all, always persecute them that were born according to the promise. Okay. Again, the Jews brought up stones to stone him. Jesus said to them, My Father has enabled me to do many good deeds. I have shown many acts of mercy in your presence. So with the good deeds comes the words of mercy. For which of these do you mean to stone me? The Jews replied, we are not going to stone you for a good act, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, make yourself out to be God. Now listen, Jesus quoting the Psalms to them. Jesus answered, is it not written in your law, I said, you are God's. So men are called gods by the law, men to whom God's message came. And the scripture cannot be set aside or cancelled or broken or annulled. If that is true, do you say of the one whom the Father consecrated and dedicated and set apart for himself and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said, I am the Son of God. All right. So, we all started out in life, Son of Man. So Jesus became son of man. And he demonstrated himself to be son of God. 
All right? And he gave us the power and the authority to become sons of God. As many as believed on his name. John chapter 1 verse 12 to 14. Okay. So now they say he's blaspheming because he says he's son of God. Have not the Father consecrated you? So what did we read in Hebrews chapter 2? He who consecrates, he who makes holy, and those who are made holy all have one Father. And for this reason, he is not ashamed to call us brothers. This is really hard on people's religion, I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> but listen, it's good news. God gives you, he empowers you to speak with power and to forgive people's sins, to get them out of their stuff. Why do we want to keep people in their stuff? Okay. If I'm not doing the works and performing the deeds of my father, then don't believe me. Do not adhere to trust on me. But if I do them, even though you don't believe me or have faith in them, at least believe the works and have faith in what I do in order that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. They sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. Okay. It was obviously not his time. All right. All right. Just go to John chapter 20. Yeah, awesome, Greg. I love that, man. Yeah. Okay, so John chapter 20. Uh, verse 20. Just listen to this. So saying, he showed them his hands and his side. So Jesus appearing in the upper room. And when the disciples saw the Lord, they were filled with joy. Delight, exaltation, ecstasy, rapture. Okay? Not rapture, but, you know, enraptured in a moment. Okay? Verse 21. Then Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. Just as the Father has sent me forth, so I am sending you. Said the same thing in John 17. Okay? Just as the Father has sent me forth, so I am sending you. So there's your scripture for authority to say what he's saying. Verse 22. And having said this, and yes, you can reason, but you're not a disciple. Just read John 17. He says, it's not, I'm not praying for these alone, but for everyone that would come to faith in the, in the, through their ministry as well. So you must read John 17 as well. It's for us today here, believers. Verse 22, and having said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Okay, so here comes the power of God. Here comes the authority. Here comes God dwelling in the flesh. So now these disciples have witnessed all these miracles. They've even done miracles. They've, man, but they don't have the Holy Spirit yet. So here it comes. Receive the Holy Spirit. Now having received the Holy Spirit and being led and directed by Him, if you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of anyone, they are retained. Why would he say that if we didn't have the authority to forgive sins? Why would he say that? He sends us for this purpose, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to forgive sins. No, 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 I can't give, give for God, God, God only can forgive sins. Then why did Jesus give a direct command for you to go and forgive the sins of the people? So what's the grounds of this forgiveness that we proclaim? It's the blood of Jesus. You're not speaking out of your own authority. If you do, you've got a problem. Like the seven sons of Sceva. Okay? 
But if you're speaking on the grounds of the blood of Jesus by the authority delegated to you by Jesus Christ himself giving you his own Holy Spirit and sending you to forgive the sins of people, then why not forgive people? If you retain the sins of anyone, they are retained. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. Okay, so now the story goes on. All right. Let's just go to Matthew 6. It says, verse 12, Forgive us our debts, and as we also have forgiven our debtors. debtors. Lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil. Verse 14, If you forgive people their trespasses, letting them go and giving up resentment, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. If you do not forgive others their trespasses, their reckless and willful sins, leaving them, letting them go and giving up their resentment, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. So how does this fit into the picture? This was before the cross. John 20 is after the cross. After the price was paid. So Jesus wants you to forgive people, not to qualify for your forgiveness, because Jesus paid the price through the blood of Jesus, but as your ministry. Go out and forgive people. Doesn't matter if they did something against you, but especially if they've done something against you, then forgive them in no uncertain terms. And don't think it's only about you. Yes, I mean, you benefit when you forgive people. I mean, your own conscience benefits from it when you don't keep a grudge against people. You know, it's like, I don't know who it was, some American preacher that says, uh, holding a grudge is like drinking slow poison, thinking it will kill someone else. Okay? So, yes, it will destroy yourself as well, if you hold a grudge. Yes, it's good to forgive sins for your sake. But just think of it this way. How else is the forgiveness of Jesus going to come to them? Jesus has given so much into our hands. Why aren't people getting free from this stuff? I'm speaking if just in church. Why are people struggling to leave their, their past life behind? Why are people struggling to relate with certain people? Why are relationships such a tricky thing, especially in church circles? Oh, no, okay, you know, you've, in your church, everybody loves everyone, you know, no one, has, <laughs> no one has a problem with anyone. No church has a problem with another church. There's no politics doesn't exist okay great for you but for the rest of the world why does those things exist is it not because people don't forgive and they don't preach forgiveness but they retain the sins we have the power to retain sins and we have the power to forgive sins we need to start forgiving sins People will get out of their debt. People will get out of their sickness. People will get out of stuff when the church, by the power of the Holy Ghost, stands up and starts proclaiming forgiveness to those who need it. If there's a pastor that fell in sin, why don't you just get in your car and go to him and tell him, listen, your sins are forgiven. No, we splash him on page three. And we fry him there. We call the journalists ourselves, as if the journalists are the judges. No, Jesus is the judge, and Jesus said, I forgive you. So we must say what Jesus says, which is, I forgive you. <laughs> Sacrifices I have not desired. I've desired mercy. God wants the church to be merciful. So, uh, 
Whew, man, I wanted to cover a lot. Let's see how far we go. Uh, if he's a merciful, sympathetic high priest, and he made us, Revelation 1 verse 5 and 6, Revelation 5 verse 9 and 10, he made us kings and priests. So you're a priest and he's the high priest. Romans 5 verse 17 makes you a king and he's the king of kings. And Romans, uh, Revelation 1, Revelation 5 makes you a priest and he is the high priest. So you're always under his authority. Yes, you're a king. Yes, you're a priest. But hey, he's the king. And he's the high priest. So his sovereignty, his authority, he, what he says is what's going to happen. Otherwise, you're not a priest, you're a rebel. Okay? So if he's saying, if he's a merciful, sympathetic high priest, and if he, as a high priest, says, I don't desire your sacrifices, but mercy, shouldn't we be merciful? Shouldn't we just speak forgiveness? All right. Yes, but you don't know what they did to him. You clearly don't know what Jesus did for you. Yes, but, you know, they did this and this. Yeah, I know in some circumstances, the stuff that people go through are unspeakable. The, the, I am shocked at the ability of destruction that man can unleash on people. That people can do to one another. It's just shocking. But how are they going to get out of it? How are those wicked widows that's doing that stuff, how, and they're killing people by the millions, how are they going to be saved? How are they going to get out of it? Is it not by the forgiveness of sins by the blood of Jesus? Okay. I kind of got stuck, so. We go to Acts chapter 13. But on the way to Acts chapter 13, I think we should just make a pit stop in First Peter, First John chapter 1. And then we finished. And you can have your chicken. Luckily, you can take your chicken out of the oven right there at home, even watching your little screen. Isn't that nice? Okay. And you can even pause and rewind and switch me off, but don't, don't switch off. Okay, just listen to this. First John 1, verse 4 says, What we are now uh, writing, we are now writing these things to you so that our joy, seeing you included, may be full and your joy may be complete. And this is the message, the message of promise which we have heard from him and now are reporting to you. God is light. There's no darkness in him, no, not in any way. Okay, so God is light. That's the message. If we say we are partakers together and enjoy fellowship with him who is light, when we live and uh, move and are walking about in darkness, we both speak falsely and do not live and practice the truth. So the light is the life. The light is the word. So if we say we have fellowship but we have no word, we're lying. So John 1 verse 4 says, In the word was the life and the light. life was the light. So we need to get into the word. It says here, verse 1, we are writing to you about the word of life. All right? So in him is the light. So, but if we really are living and walking in the light, in the word, in fellowship with the spirit, as he himself is in the light, we have true unbroken fellowship with one another. Now listen, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin and guilt and keeps us cleansed from sin in all its forms and manifestations. Now the last verse of 1 Peter chapter 1 declares that the word of the Lord is the gospel, the good news which was proclaimed to you. So the word, the word of life, the message of promise, God is light. That word is the gospel of the forgiveness. All right, now he says, if we say we have no sin, refusing to admit that we are sinners. We delude and lead ourselves astray. And the truth which the gospel presents is not in us. does not dwell in our hearts. Okay, so listen. If you keep on justifying the stuff that you're busy with, then no, no amount of forgiveness is going to get you out of it. 
first, it's good to get to a point where I realize, okay, what I'm busy with is not, it's not God's will. And for that to happen, it's, it's a good idea to believe in God. So we're sent to a generation to preach salvation to a bunch of people that think they don't need it from a God that they believe doesn't exist. All right? So that's the problem that we have. Everything that people need forgiveness from, they justify in some or other way. And they call it good. But that's the function of the Holy Spirit. When we preach and minister with the Holy Spirit, it's the Holy Spirit, John chapter 16, that convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Not the preacher. The Holy Spirit with the preacher. So it's not up to you to bash the people with the law until they feel guilty and then bring them forgiveness. <laughs> no, you preach forgiveness with the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit touches their hearts, bringing them to conviction. Oh my goodness, I'm a sinner. I need forgiveness. If it's not going to be a spiritual thing, if, if it's not going to be a revelation from the Holy Spirit, no amount of words is going to help them. Okay? Because their minds are so blinded. If we say we have no sin, we delude and lead ourselves astray. The truth of the gospel is not in us. But verse 9, if we freely admit that we have sinned and confess our sins, that's two different things that that original meaning can have. Admit that we have sinned, or it can mean confess our sins. He is faithful and just, true to his own nature, and will forgive our sins, dismiss our lawlessness, and continuously cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So people sometimes have a problem with it because it says he will forgive you your sins. But all the other scriptures is based on the blood of Jesus. All the other scriptures is based on the sacrifice that happened 2,000 years ago. And it was before that this stuff was written. So how can you say he will forgive your sins? Well, the same guy that wrote this wrote also, and he was there when Jesus said it, if you forgive, they will be forgiven. So if you forgive someone, Jesus forgives them. If you retain, Jesus retains. Why? Because he said, if you forgive sins, they will be forgiven. If you retain them, you will be, they will be retained. So now, we have a responsibility to preach the truth. We have a responsibility to preach the blood of Jesus. We have a responsibility to preach the word, which is the light. And if they dwell in the light, the blood of Jesus cleanses them and keeps them cleansed from sin in all its forms and manifestations. He says, uh, if we freely admit that we have sinned, so the Holy Spirit brings that conviction, and they hear the word of forgiveness and confess our sins, He's faithful, true to His own nature, will forgive our sins. So it's still God's nature to forgive. So the proclamation of forgiveness will be where the word of life, the word of light is preached. There must be a proclamation of forgiveness. Okay. So that that person can hear these words, my sins are forgiven. If they don't hear those words, how will they ever believe they are forgiven? Continuously cleanse us from all unrighteousness purpose, thought, and action. If you're in the light, you're under a waterfall of the blood of Jesus. And you are consist continuously cleansed. Continuously cleansed. So, there's some other voices that's that wants to accuse you. Those voices also come through people. And those voices will also use the scriptures. The same book what do they say? They quote Moses. And they say, hey, you're a dirty thing. You are wicked. They say, hey, man, how can God forgive you? Look at what you're doing. That's not what Jesus did. That's not what Jesus said. Be careful what you say to people using this book. It needs to be consistent with the blood of Jesus. Okay. Do the people need to repent? Yes. And turn from their wicked ways? Yes, they do. Do the people need to abandon their bad life? Obviously, yes. How are they going to do it? By the power of the word that brings forgiveness. 
All right. Forgiveness is received through faith. Where were we going? Acts chapter 13. Okay, just listen. And we finished. It says, this, I mean, you know this. It's the preaching of Jesus, the death and the resurrection. He saw no corruption. Uh, David saw corruption. So the psalm wasn't testifying about him. It was testifying about Jesus. And Jesus saw no corruption. He was raised from the dead. All right, so it says, verse 38, So let it be clearly known and understood by you, brethren, brothers of Jesus, that through this man, son of man, forgiveness and removal of sins is now proclaimed to you. Okay, so he says, through the son of man, I, as son of man, proclaim to you, your sins are forgiven. I proclaim to you the forgiveness and removal of sins. Verse 39, and that through him, everyone who believes in him is absolved and cleared from every charge from which he could not be justified and freed by the law of Moses and given right standing with God. So if you trust is going to be on uh, you doing what the law says, then the sins are retained because the law never declares forgiveness. But if your trust is going to be on the power of the blood of Jesus and the declaration of the forgiveness of sins because of the perfect sacrifice of the Lamb, then you receive forgiveness the second you believe it. So your, your sins are forgiven. Take care, therefore, lest there come upon you what is spoken in the prophets. Look, you scoffers and scorners and marvel and perish and vanish away. For I am doing a deed in your days, a deed which you will never have confidence in or believe, even if someone clearly describing it in detail declares it to you. God is doing a deed that the religious doesn't want to like, that they don't like it, they don't want to believe it. God is doing a deed that the people who think they are so philosophical and so clever, that they won't believe it's nonsense to them. How can you just walk around saying to people they're forgiven? Well, God said so, so I'm doing it. He blasphemes you, claims the rights of God. No, it was delegated to me. I showed you the scripture. So you can believe me, if you want to, that your sins are forgiven. And then go do the same. Go preach the forgiveness of sins. Or you cannot believe me and believe that you are guilty before God and see how far that brings you. Because what else is going to cleanse your conscience? Not your works. Not your knowledge. Not your degrees. Somewhere you need to get to a point where you understand I'm clean because of the blood of Jesus. My role is just to tell you about it. All right. So, we need to really look at what we're saying. Let's not just uh, say stuff about people and say stuff to people bringing condemnation that cut them and hurt them. But let our speech be seasoned with salt, Ephesians chapter 4, 29, that brings grace to the hearers. Okay? May you be a voice speaking what the Lord God is saying to the world today. Instead of being an extension of the accuser. There's two voices, main voices. The one accuses and the one justifies. The one accuses and the other one sets free. The, the one judges, the other one acquits. So don't let the wrong voice come from your mouth. Jesus said, if you had known what this means, sacrifices I have not desired but mercy, you would not have condemned the guiltless. Okay, right, so may you be blessed, may you experience the power of forgiveness. Your sins are forgiven, everything you've ever said against God is forgiven. It's washed clean, you're holy, you're blameless, you're spotless. 
He has made you holy, Hebrews 10, 10 verse 10, through the offering of the flesh body of Jesus Christ. Verse 14 says, those whom we have made holy is also forever completely cleansed and perfected. You are holy, completely cleansed, perfected, const, const, uh, constantly cleansed. Hebrews, uh, John 1, 1 John 1 verse, where was it, 7, 8. You are a holy thing. There's no judgment before the throne. The Holy Spirit says, Hebrews 10 verse 15, 16, 17. The Holy Spirit adds his testimony to this, having said, uh, I'll bring a covenant. And he says, and their sins and their, I will write my laws in their hearts and minds, and their sins and iniquities I will remember no more. The Holy Spirit does not remember your sins and iniquities after the blood of Jesus. Now where there is absolute remission of these penalties, absolute forgiveness, verse 18, there is no longer any offering made to atone for sin. The offering is complete. Your righteousness stands. You are holy. All right. Be blessed, everybody. Uh, yeah, blue versus red pole. <laughs> yeah, Greg, that's right. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like that. Okay, now, I think it's now a little bit easier to, to forgive your neighbor's dog and to, you know, and to, you know, forgive your sister for, you know, to forgive your uncle or your aunt or your dad or your whoever. Hey, forgive. How are they going to see Christ if you don't forgive? All right. Be blessed, everyone. I don't really know how to end this, so that's why I keep on speaking. So, uh, <laughs> my experience is grace and his peace. Remember, tomorrow morning, um, 9 o'clock, we, we have another message for you on Facebook and YouTube. And uh, I want to please uh, advise you to also um, watch Friday's devotion message, Friday morning. Nine o'clock, that was passed. Okay? It's much the same type of word. So uh, I, I really believe this is what God is saying. All right, so be blessed, everyone. We'll see you again tomorrow morning. Have an awesome day. Your sins are forgiven. <laughs>